turn to Colossians uh, chapter 3, starting with the first verse. And when you have it, please stand. Hear ye the word of the Lord. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whether whatever is in you that is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account that these are the uh, are these the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you all once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things: anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practice and have clothed yourself with a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. God's word for God's people and God's people said, Amen. Amen. For the time that is ours to uh, spend together, I want to talk about just Jesus. Uh, uh, the, the, the letter to the Colossians, theologian Mark Allen Powell once said that the model of the epistle to Colossians could be uh, think globally, but act locally. I've uh, noticed uh, in the uh, amount of short amount of time that I've had to live that over time what's important to me changes. It changes so much that I've noticed it and now now think about whenever I'm in the middle of a problem right now I think about is this going to matter to me five years from now or a year from now or ten years from now? And that sort of determines how I handle it. I may not get so worked up about it. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to fix the problem. It's not going to mean that I'm not going to deal with it, but how I deal with it is a, a little different. Trying to take a, a, a step back and an outside view about something uh helps me to process and it helps me to also calm down even when there are a bunch of people running around uh, like chickens with their heads cut off Uh, I've been doing sound engineering for a while now and so I've not seen every situation that you can see in a concert but I've seen enough that I don't get worked up about certain things and I was when we flew back in from Chicago uh, yesterday morning, I ended up working a concert that same day. They didn't have a single program. 
They didn't have any kind of order of service. Didn't nobody tell me who was singing what, when, and where, and who was saying what, when, and where. And on top of that, the entire program was in Spanish. There was no English spoken at all. But I was contracted to do sound for this concert. Um, it was so unorganized to the point that once the program had already started, there were artists arriving 10, 15, 20 minutes after the program had already started with their CDs trying to tell me, you know, that they're going to sing their part of the concert. They're coming on and can they listen to their CD right quick? so that they can hear what song they need to pick because they don't know what backing songs they have on their CDs. And they can't do it. Now the concert started. I'm not going to stop the concert. Hey, let me, let me play this man's CD right quick. I know you're singing right now, and I'm going to let you get back to what you're doing in a minute, but no. If I was new to working these kind of concerts, that might have rustled my, that might have messed with my thinking. I might have been upset. I might have been worried. And it was people running around, the people who were managing the concert, speaking. One of the promoters was speaking on two phones, going back and forth on both those phones because people forgot their CDs, people didn't have their computers, all this stuff, and asking me questions. And I got asked several things several times. Now, I didn't need to match... There, I matched their sense of urgency in terms of how I handled the situation, but because they were all worked up, I didn't get worked up. Been around, sort of seen this a while, and I've sort of taken that same approach to a lot of other things. I don't get caught up in what may turn out to be minor details. I learned to be content in every situation, as the Apostle Paul said in Philippians, now that I speak in regard to need, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to be abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned to be both full and hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My faith is not in any particular person because persons may fail. But my faith is in Jesus, just Jesus, because Jesus will not fail. He's not a man that he should lie, nor is the son of man that he should cause to repent. But it's Jesus, and this comes from my experience. My experience and having vision and understanding. This helps me to handle situations effectively and efficiently. And as I gain more experience dealing with certain kinds of obstacles, I get that much more effective and efficient. And when I learn how to do something, it may have taken me 10 steps to do it the first time. But later on, I can do it in five. Taking back a, 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 a global view of things and focusing on what really, really matters. Colossians was written to the church in Colossae, a, a, a small town which is uh, now called Turkey, in the area that is now called Turkey. And this area was kind of full 
of what you will call pagan cults and and uh, mystery religions. And the Colossians had uh, not actually met the Apostle Paul face to face. He had taught some of the people that went out there and brought Christ to the Colossian Christians. And because of uh, that, some things got kind of caught up in the way they operate. And so they weren't, they were not only taking what they had learned from Christ and learned about Christ, but they had started to try to intermix and mingle some of the mystery religion practices and and some of the pagan things into it. So they have sort of made Christianity a little bit more complicated than it needed to be. Uh, See, mystery religions were graded, so to speak. You didn't just join a mystery or or, or a mystery religion and you were a full-fledged member. No, they had different steps. You had to keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going before you became a member in good standing and a full-fledged member. And so they got complicated and they didn't necessarily try to mix the pagan theology all the time with it, but they did kind of mix the hierarchy and the process of coming into the religion. They were concerned about what kind of festivals you celebrated and what kind of practices you kept and what all did you do? Because if you didn't do everything that I did, you were not as good as a Christian as I. My Bible was bigger than yours. My church was better than yours. My, my understanding of the mysteries of Christ was better than you, young, weak, young Christian. They hadn't seen Paul face to face. So they, they, they looked at how the mystery religions was doing things with all these ranks and titles and festivals. And they decided that's how we're going to do it. And Paul said he had to write a letter to set some things straight. He said that they had taken unnecessary steps and they had been deceived by plausible arguments. <laughs> taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Said that all in the chapter preceding in Colossians 2. They got caught up in titles and festivals and a bunch of other stuff that it took them further from Jesus. Because they got caught up in the stuff. They got caught up in their own lives. They got caught up in what they thought was important. But this is no longer your own life. Being in Christ, you are raised with Christ and you're supposed to seek the things that are above where Christ is. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father because he's done all the work that he needs to do for now. It's our turn to get to work. But sometimes we get caught up in things that don't matter. I have a colleague of mine, Elder Craig Barnett, that often says jokingly but seriously that uh, he was raised old school. And so that meant if he brought the paper plates to the potluck, he needed his name printed in the bulletin for the work that he had done. You know, I've, I've had the opportunity to uh, lead several different organizations, uh, community service groups, ministries, fraternities, and they've all had the same thing in common, I've noticed. Uh, They spend a lot of time being caught up in titles 
who gets to be what and who gets to be in charge of what and who's over what. And they spend a lot of time complaining about the people who ain't came. Every last one of them from the youth drama ministry to uh, uh, some, some other community service organizations I've been a part of to fraternities with whoever was in charge spent most of the time complaining about who wasn't there. Couldn't get anything else done. Couldn't move any further because we worried about somebody that ain't came to meetings in years. I wish more people would come to the meetings. They need to hold up on their obligations. They need to know. You work with what you have and you keep moving. If you spend all your time worried about somebody that's not there, they are, as my mom says, living in your head rent free. And I don't know about you all, but I got a lot going on that I can't really be concerned with people living in my head rent free. I heard one person say that you really shouldn't spend time worrying about anybody who does not affect your direct deposit. If, if, if they're not affecting your direct deposit, no need to get caught up in who's here, who's not, who's doing what, who's not, who made you mad, who didn't, who got certain title that you might have thought you may have deserved. That's not all needed. We ought to focus on Jesus. Because focusing on all that other stuff, it makes you look behind. And when you look behind, you can lose I'll never forget, I was in seventh grade on the track team. And we had a really fast young man by the name of Marky Bowden. Marky Bowden was faster than most high schoolers in middle school, in eighth grade. Marky ran the 100 and the 200 and the 4 by one Rarely lost. And he was probably better at the two, at the 100 than he was at the 200. But since the 100 came before the 200 in the order of events, he had already set the mindset. And so Marky won. We ran against this school that uh, I really think somebody should have checked birth certificates before we ran against them because I could have promised, even though it was a middle school event, a couple of the young men were hugging and kissing their wife and children before they came to the meet. You know, I didn't see anybody, you know, you 12, 13 years old and everybody on their team is 6'5 and above. It was a little bit intimidating. But Marky Bowden was not intimidated and Marky won the 100 meter dash. And even though this guy from their team, their best team was supposed to be faster and stronger and, and a better runner and had better times until he ran Marky Bowden, when Marky Bowden beat him in the 100, he had already won the 200 and the 4 by one relay because when he started to run the 200, he was placed in front. They, they staggered the starts. And so the further lanes out you are, the further up you are. You all still run 200 meters, but it looks like it's different. And so because Marky Bowden beat him in the 100, when he came out of the blocks in the 200, he wasn't looking forward. He was looking back to see when Marky Bowden was going to come catch him. 
And because he looked back to see when Marky Bowden was going to catch him, he brought it to fruition. And Marky Bowden caught him and won the 200, and we won the meet because we scored enough points. And his coach, the part I'll never forget, his coach was encouraging him after losing both the 100 and the 200 to somebody that was supposed to be slower than him. And he told him, you lost the race before it even started when you came out the block looking for him to come catch you. You can't run forward looking backwards. I have some Bible for it. It says in Luke chapter 6, verses 15 through 62, now it happened as they were journeying on the road. Someone said to them, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to them, foxes have holes and birds have in the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. And he also said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid farewell to them who are at my house. But Jesus said, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. There is work to be done, but we caught up on who need to be on what committee. There is work to be done, but we are caught up on who is going to get what title. What order do we march in? Who gets to ride in the limo at the funeral? Who gets to eat first? Who gets the big plate? Who's in charge? We get caught up in things that do not matter. We need to set our minds on things that are above. We ought to be focusing on Jesus. That in thy kingdom come, not who heads a committee. Organization is important. Don't get me wrong. You do need to operate in decency and order. But sometimes we get caught so much up on the order that we lose sight of what we're here for. And that's to spread the gospel of Christ. It tickles me to watch at different organizations when it's time to vote. First, we got to vote on how we going to vote. Then we got once we decide how we're going to vote, somebody else going to stand up and say, well, no, nah, we need to vote first to suspend the rules to have the vote. And then we got somebody stops the vote because of that. And we get caught up on how to vote and when to vote and what to vote for. And something that could have taken 15 minutes takes 20. I was watching online <laughs> our jurisdictional conference where Texas and Oklahoma and Nevada and all of them get together to vote, uh, cover things that happen from the conference. We have our conference, which is a portion of the state of Texas. It's like divided up into five conferences because it's so big. And then we have a jurisdiction, which is like Oklahoma and all the neighboring states around Texas. And that's where our bishops are elected. And we had an election for bishop and I was watching and there's a rule in the book of resolutions or discipline or something that says, you know, for every time you elect a bishop, you have to take a 30 minute break before you elect the next bishop. And so I'm watching this online and uh, they elected the first bishop so fast that the person holding the meeting was like, well, let's uh, since we got this bishop elected so fast, we can try because they had to elect five bishops to send them all back to the conferences. 
And they said, well, since we elected the bishop so fast, what do you say about uh, having another election so we can get the next one going? Uh, uh, in Article 2, Paragraph 15, Section 5, Subsetting B, on the bottom of the page, it says uh, we're supposed to um, wait 30 minutes in order to elect a new bishop. So if we need to vote on a new bishop, we first need to vote to suspend the rules. Then we need to vote, and this whole time, they took 30 minutes arguing over, first, first we got to vote this way, then we got to vote that way to suspend the rules, then we got to vote this way to suspend the rules, and finally, it actually took 30 minutes for them to have the next election. And through all that, they still didn't elect a second bishop. Caught up on time. Now, I love my denomination. I'm not trying to speak ill of it, but I'm just putting out the example of when we get caught up in titles and how to do things like they did at the church in Colossians, that we miss certain things. John Wesley had four things uh, that were tantamount to what we call Methodism. They called it the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Scripture, reason, experience and tradition with scripture being the most important of the four but we have as a as a people have sort of started focusing more on tradition than anything else tradition is wonderful tradition connects us to people who did this in the past and it puts a way for us to connect people who will be here after we are gone. But John Wesley valued scripture over tradition. When it came down to those two, it was scripture over tradition first. And so we get caught up in tradition to the point that it causes and creates separation. Did you know that John Wesley did not intend to start the United Methodist Church? He was an Anglican cleric, the Church of England, and he was looking for ways to make the Church of England better. He wanted to let people know that they could have a personal relationship with Jesus. He wanted to have, let them know that they could be justified by faith. He wanted to let all these people know, and it was people that came after him, church leaders that came after him, that broke this off and had us come up with what became the United Methodist Church but he was looking to stay a part of the Church of England the whole time but because we got caught up in traditions and titles and what we thought was important instead of just trying to come together and talk about Jesus and let the world know about Jesus we got the United Methodist Church the Methodist Church of Great Britain, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, the Wesleyan Church, the Church of the Nazarene, the Christian and Missionary Alliance. We got the Holiness Movement. We got Pentecostalism. We got the Charismatic Movement and we got the Neo-Charismatic Movement. All of them claiming to be following the same man's teaching who never intended to leave his own denomination and did not. That came later. 
getting caught up in traditions and not focusing on Jesus and getting a bunch of separations. Shoot, that's why you can have towns that are only have 5,000 people in them but have like 500 churches. One on every corner. Because we all about the titles and and the control as opposed to that. But he says that we're supposed to take off those things and put on new clothing that is symbolic of a new life beginning in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things, all old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. New, not focus on the past. New, not focus on how we've always done it. New. I am reminded of a story once told. Uh, I learned in local pastor school that they say it takes anywhere from two to four years for you to do something before people begin to say, that's how we've always done it. And it reminded me of a story. There was a family that bought a dog and the dog left a mess on the carpet. And nobody cleaned up the mess because nobody wanted to tackle it. Nobody wanted to address the mess. They thought that somebody else would take care of this mess. And the mess got hard and it solidified and petrified. And as the generations moved through the house, people no longer saw it as a mess. They thought it was furniture. They set their drink on it. Nobody touched it because it had been there so long and nobody had attempted to clean it up. Nobody had attempted to address it that as the generations moved on, people just thought that's what it was. And then they'd go other places and they wouldn't see that same mess on the carpet and they would think that that house is deficient. It's missing something because we're over here doing it this way. Even though it's mess, even though it is a mess, even though it is mess, it's solidified and we found a way to use it. But it says the things have become new. We lay aside about it also says in the passage to the Colossians that we need to lay aside vices. And you know, a lot of times we talk about that, but um, you don't lay aside vices to say that you are better than the next person. We lay them aside. Because we are hurting ourselves with those things that are mentioned, the greed and the idolatry and the anger and the wrath and the malice and the slander and the abusive language. That is not so that you can walk around with an S on your chest and think that you are better than those that are others. It says on the account of these things, the wrath of God is coming for those that are disobedient, not the wrath of the church members. I'm going to say that again. It says on the account of these things, the wrath of God is coming for those who are disobedient, not the wrath of the church members. Now, we are to hold each other accountable and we do judge a tree by its fruit, but we do not personally have a heaven or hell to put anybody else in. 
The fact is, we all have two by fours in our eyes, worried about the speck of dust in somebody else's. Our best is but filthy rags. The laying aside of the vices and the improvement is for our own personal improvement. Not that we can broadcast it and say, hey, everybody, look at me. I'm better than you. You need to get on my level. It's kind of like uh, when you point those kind of things out at other people, it's kind of like the situation where when I was going to school, you know, they I think they call I don't know what they call it now. Uh, when I was in college, they called it capping. When I was in high school, it was joning. Uh, other people said it was shooting the dozens, but you are making fun of somebody else, basically. And uh, there was always the kid you knew that was quick to make fun of somebody else. But the reason they was making fun of somebody else so quickly is so that you wouldn't notice what was wrong with them. We lay aside the vices because we are not perfect and we are striving to be or striving for perfection. But we miss out on that by trying to see who else is not perfect or who else is worse than us and pointing out what they do wrong as opposed to working upon ourselves. And if you spend time focusing on Jesus, just Jesus, the rest will take care of itself. Because in Jesus, there is no Jew or Greek, no uncircumcised or, or, or circumcised. There is no hierarchy. There's no I know more than you or I'm a better Methodist than you or I've been Methodist longer than you. Being the best person you know at anything is a bad thing. You should strive to be around people who will improve you. Make you better. And make you better by not judging you. And the best person that you can strive to be around and the best person that you can strive to develop a relationship with and the best person that you can strive to get with and be like is Jesus. We ought not focus on things that don't matter. We ought to spend more time focusing on Jesus. That's why I like that the scripture said that Christ is the all in all. He's all that was and is and is to come. The way maker, the sustainer, the redeemer, the lily of the valley, the bright morning star, the, the bishop of souls, our advocate, the true vine, Jesus. The loftiest idea in literature, the, the highest personality in philosophy, the king of kings and the lord of lords, the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone is a stone that is placed on a building and is the most important stone. And the stone which the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone or the stone of the corner. The cornerstone is Jesus, the one who was beat all night long for your sins and mine and crucified, died and buried so that we might have life and have it more abundantly laid in a tomb. And it was borrowed because he wasn't going to be there long. And on the third day, got up with all power in his hands. That Jesus. And because he did that for me, I can put my trust in him. Because he did that for me, I can strive to be like him.
because he did that to me, I can stand on him. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come.